The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and this is a special episode as we kick off the 2023 offseason plan projects. Yes, the moment so many White Sox fans were waiting for after it became very apparent that the 2022 season wasn't going to net in a postseason berth. For the veterans of OPP, we'll break down the key decisions you'll have to make before you show off your creativity, adding free agents or wheeling and dealing with trade scenarios. For the rookies who have never participated, we'll go through the format, anticipating what questions you may have. This episode is here to serve as a guide, so feel free to come back to it while you are working in your spreadsheets and have a dozen tabs open in your internet browser. Joining me to get the festivities going is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, this is like a mini holiday for us at Sox Machine when the offseason plan project is released. This offseason should be one of the more difficult offseason plan projects to date. It's the OPP season. <laughs> so hoop dee do uh yeah it's that time of year and it is difficult but it's also i'll spin it positively as i so often do on this podcast and i'll say that it's probably a little bit freeing this year you know perhaps some trade ideas that might have been controversial in previous years because you know the the promise was to strong the uh, salaries were too cheap uh, the players were too popular might be more palatable now might actually be preferable now for some people and uh, so I think you know if anybody has a fear of proposing a trade or sending somebody packing I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of objection well first of all I should say that if you want to make a trade I think you should like yeah I, I say there are there are such things as dumb ideas, but the threshold is pretty high for a truly dumb idea. In this case, like we just like ideas. We like the out-of-box uh, assortments. We like just having different ways of thinking about it. Because even if, like, say, 
you trade Aloy Jimenez for Mike Trout or something like that, like something, you know, where just like, that's not feasible. You know, perhaps there's a name mentioned that goes like, oh yeah, maybe that's one way out of this. So I like saying that, like, even if you fear there might be some blowback, like go ahead and try it, go ahead and try to make the pieces fit. Because even if like you can't quite get everything all the way there, maybe somebody picks up the idea and runs with it. But with so many players having injuries, so many players having down years, so many players kind of falling into this weird uh, depth charts where just nobody can get away from first base or DH uh, without uh, really uh, becoming a defensive liability. There are a lot of possibilities for trades that may not have been entertained in previous years. As we record this guy, the Chicago White Sox officially haven't announced a new manager yet. How much of an impact, Jim, do you think that hire will have on the White Sox offseason activity? And should this be front of mind for those working on their offseason plan projects? If by the time they get to it, the White Sox are still in limbo, who's going to be managing the team? Well, I would say in this case, with your offseason plan project, since nobody has been mentioned, even like we'll be launching this before any managerial hire is concerned. And the way I look at it is like it's a blank slate. Even if like somehow you jump in like a week late and they've hired Joe Espada or Ozzy Gian or Jim Tomey or Ron Kittle or what have you. Like you could still hire your own manager. Like this is a case where Ron Kittle. Yeah, sure. Southpaw, (laughs) Roger Boss, you know, whoever, whoever Jerry Reinsdorf already has a phone number for Um, George Jacobs, et cetera. Uh, Put the MMM. I don't think the M&M jacket would be allowed in the dugout. I think it's not sanctioned gear by major league baseball. So we would have to, so maybe he refuses the job based on that. I think, you know, even if you jump in like a day or two after the white Sox make a managerial decision, like still make your own manager. Like I, I still think this is the case for first guessing. Everybody's going to be first guessing. And the one tough thing about like, say the off season plan projects for people jumping in late is, is it loses a little bit of the integrity uh, when decisions have been made. Like somebody hits free agency, somebody gets re-signed, somebody's off the board, somebody accepts an option. Like still like, you know, I would say like if AJ Pollock uh, picks up his player option, then sure. Incorporate, incorporate that in your plans because I think that's going to be the working assumption anyway, that it's going to be hard for him to find a one year, $8 million deal elsewhere. But in the case of like other players, you know, signing quickly or, you know, just the decisions that are made fairly rapidly, I still think there's some leeway uh, to make your own calls. So that way, like in the event that like, say, whoever the White Sox you know, hires manager turns up to be a disaster, like within the first couple months, you can say like, yeah, that wasn't my guy. I had this guy. And that way you can at least have bragging rights. So this is a case for first guessing, um, not baking in whatever the White Sox do from uh, October 28th forward uh, into your plan. All right. So let's walk through each step of the offseason plan. First, what's going to be the off-season budget, Jim? I wrestled with this number a bit because I think there are a couple ways to approach whatever number you pick, but I'm going with 190 million, which is what the White Sox rolled out for payroll this year. And I think because they didn't make the postseason, and I know you've said this before on the podcast that there's an argument for um, setting the payroll considerably lower, like 170 million was one number I was thinking of, but. I think, you know, when it comes to setting this number, and I'm not pretending that this number affects what the White Sox are going to do, but I don't want to like implicitly make the argument that the White Sox should reduce payroll or it's like, okay, if they do, or, you know, you know, anything like that, because it's dumb to splurge for one year and then 
contract that spending. And they've done that before and it hasn't worked. Like Jerry Reinsdorf has done that twice in the past, you know, since uh, post-World Series and it hasn't worked. So I think you really have to commit to like a two plus year thing. And I think with the way the market is this year that they can roll out another 190 million plus payroll. And should it be a disaster again, should like this core collapse on them and the White Sox kind of have to, you know, maybe not a full scale rebuild, but do have to regroup or have to like uh, make some hard choices. They can cut a lot more payroll easily next year than they can this year. So I think that's the way I'm looking at it is, you know, basically $190 million payroll. They should be able to carry that because next year, whether it's players stagnating or uh, prospects maybe being ready for uh, to take over some jobs or just, you know, the case where, uh, you know, attrition sets in and they'll be able to shed some bodies like they'll be able to cut salary if need be uh, in 2024. But 2023 still seems like the call is to stick with what they've been spending, if not more. I thought you were being very kind with the $190 million. So for those listening, they are already happy, Jim, because that gives them a lot more breathing room than let's say 170 or 175 million. I do have to say, as I was getting my spreadsheet organized and where the 26 man roster is for me before making some decisions, I'm already at $171 million for the White Sox payroll. Mm-hmm. And before I even made those decisions, you'll break it down here on Sox Machine that the payroll breaks down for the White Sox. They have $118 million to 11 players. So that's their obligations. They got club options for two players. That results in a little more than $18 million. That's Tim Anderson and Josh Harrison. There's one player option, $13 million. So that's AJ Pollock or a $5 million buyout. And then you got the arbitration eligible players. There's eight arb eligible players. We'll go through those in a moment here. And we are estimating that total to be a little more than $27 million. And those numbers are coming from baseball Trade rumors, uh, MLB trade rumors. So even at 190 million, I'm already at 171 million. So thank you for the 19 million dollars wiggle room. But 19 million dollars doesn't go as long as it did a decade ago <laughs> when signing players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not going to afford Aaron Judge. No, no, I probably won't even afford Brandon Nemo. But this is where you're going to have to get creative when building out your roster. So let's go through the tender, non-tender. And as I mentioned, there's eight players here that are arbitration eligible. And we're going to go through the list here. And let's pick out the players that are at most risk of not coming back. So starting with Lucas Giolito and MLB Trade Rumors, their arbitration estimate for Lucas Giolito is $10.8 million. Now, that number will surprise a lot of White Sox fans with how poorly he pitched in 2022. He joined Chris Rose for his podcast of the John Boyd Network, Jim. I don't know if you caught any of that, yep. but Lucas straight up admitted that he sucked. Uh, he used that word probably about like 15 to 20 times, I think, in yeah, various forms. Suck, uh, <laughs> suck, sucking, etc. Etc. yes. Uh, so there's Lucas Giolito. I don't think he's at risk of being non-tendered. Maybe traded, but not mm-hmm. non-tendered, right, Jim? 
No, I mean, like, nobody is thrilled about the idea of paying him, you know, what is it going to be, uh, two and a half million more, basically, than, actually, no, three million more uh, than what he made in 2022, based on the year he had. But, I mean, if he were hitting, like, say he had this year going into free agency, and you had the opportunity to sign him for one year and 10.8 million, would you? Yes, of course you would. A lot of teams would. Like, Noah Syndergaard got, what, 21? Yes. What did he get for, yeah. So, I mean, like, that's kind of what you're looking at. It's half the price of a Noah, Noah Syndergaard, so... Um, yeah, it's Chris Archer got 10 million for the Minnesota twins. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what you're looking at for this kind of, you know, salary. So Giolito at least provided innings, uh, that, you know, Archer did not. So there's that, you know, hopefully it's a case where like the, you know, ab, uh, strain and the COVID case kind of threw him off his game and he can rebound and hit 94 with more regularity. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's no fun the way, like, you know, uh, he made 7.4 or he was projected for 7.45 million last year. And there's that whole argument over the, um, you know, his arm figures coming down to what, $50,000 or something like that. Yes. So yeah, I, I think yeah, everybody had Giolito's side last year this time around. Uh, maybe not so much. No. Uh, easiest decision you'll make in the offseason plan project. Dylan Cease. Smash the tender button. Don't even think about it. Yep. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, I think, is a pretty easy decision, Jim, at $3.3 million. I think that's an easy tender. Which he wasn't last year. Like, last year, he was one of the controversial ones. Maybe you can... Uh, cut him and move on. And so a nice bounce back job from him. Um, and also, you know, he's about making uh, like, you know, less than a million more. So that also helps like uh, his raise is modest and he really uh, cemented a role for himself in a way which he did not at all in uh, 2021. Next on the list is Adam Engel. And I think this is also a pretty easy decision, but the reverse of Ronaldo Lopez this is the one that I would say is in a very likely non-tender situation. $2.3 million. While many will say that's not a lot of money, that's a lot of money for the type of player Adam Engel is and the role that he serves for the White Sox, Jim. Yeah, it was a missed opportunity for Engel. And uh, you're just with Robert missing so much time and the flashes he'd shown in a bench role and the uh, surprising improvement he had against right-handed pitching that I thought like, Oh, you know, maybe if he gets a chance to run with a job, maybe he'll become like that kind of two win player that we didn't think was possible. Like, you know, in, in two win players average, but like, you know, maybe over the course of 110, 120 games, which is an above average bench player uh, who can step in and, uh, you know, would, do a lot when not too much is asked from him. But in this case, yeah, the, the magic seemed to run out. The body didn't cooperate. Uh, he, you know, he, he missed on a couple uh, home run robberies that I think, uh, you know, would have uh, typified his play in previous years. Just seemed like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the clock's running out on him. Next is Michael Kopech. I think that's another slam dunk tender. $2.2 million tender Michael Kopech. Mm -hmm. He's still pretty cheap as a starting pitcher. Uh, Kyle Crick, one and a half million dollars. I forgot that he was still on the team. Yes. That's an easy non-tender for me. <laughs> yes. On uh, Ted's uh, Saturday Sporkle with uh, name all the uh, 2022 White Sox. He was one of two I missed. Yeah. Because I, like, yeah, just he he made no impression on me whatsoever. Uh, the other was Ryan Burr, who's yeah already gone. See, so I got the Ryan Burr him. one. I totally mm. forgot Adam Hazley. Like the name mm. was lost on me. And I knew it was like, yeah. who knocked out Danny Mendick? I just sat there. Yeah. Couldn't think of the guy. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, he didn't come to mind immediately, but I, you know, after the names dried up, then I had to think of like, who was, uh, who was st taking like starring roles in Charlotte from time to time. And he was one of them. So 
because uh, Jake Berger didn't pop in my head immediately either, and eventually that came to mind. But yeah, forgot he was on the team. And then you have, uh, you know, I, I think we can pretty much say like, yeah, if you, if you can't remember he was on the team, then you don't need to pay him an arbitration figure. Very true. The next two, I think there's some debate here. You got Jose Ruiz and Danny Mendick, and both are projected to have $1 million in arbitration. Now, I can hear some of our listeners saying, Jose Ruiz, that's an easy non-tender. However, a million dollars is not a lot of money for a mop-up duty reliever. And Danny Mendick, on one side, I would say, when he played last year, he was very good, and this is a really cheap utility type of player. But the White Sox are kind of stacked in this department, and I don't know where he is athletically uh, with this athleticism since tearing his ACL. If he will truly be ready by opening day, I'm assuming he will be, but it is the White Sox. We know that the White Sox are weird with injuries. So with these two, what is the likelihood that they could be non-tender, Jim, by the White Sox? They seem, yeah, maybe not coin flip. I think yeah, it's probably less than a coin flip. Like I would say, like a forty percent chance they get non-tendered because, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the going rate for relievers is, you know, it's hard to sign a, a reliever for less than one million. And when it comes to, like these kind of figures, uh, when it's when it's one million, um, oftentimes it might be a little bit different now because the league minimum salary has raised, but I think like Jace Fry was a guy who ended up making six figures in his first arbitration year because he just didn't quite generate that much. I guess counting stats weren't there. The playing time wasn't there. And so he more or less was just, yeah, may as well uh, pick him up because like it's basically the league minimum. So it could be a case of like Ruiz or Mendick to where like 1 million is op optimistic. And if they're still making like six figures, then yeah, uh, there's an argument to keep them. The one thing I think with Ruiz, that's more costly than like, say um, the, the dollar figure itself is that he doesn't have options remaining. So if you're looking to maybe use that low leverage spot for like a revolving door and a fresh arm, he's more or less a fixed piece and maybe you can get by with non-tendering him once or like, sorry, not non-tendering him once, um, outrighting him once. Uh, but you know, I, I think, you know, that's probably just more, thought and effort than his uh you know his roster spot and his i guess presence requires danny mendick on, on in his favor he has two options left okay so if you bring him back and it's not going well you can send him back down to the minor leagues and and, and make use of that roster spot if it turns out that, like he's a shell of himself so that, he has that in his favor whereas ruiz you more or less have to stick with him or you know cut him and pay him the you know, remainder of his one million dollar salary it's not too big of a deal it's just a minor headache if they'd rather have somebody, you know, they're free to option up and down at least, you know, the, the four times a year that they're allowed to do so. All right. So let's move over to the club options. So those are the tenders, non-tenders. You got eight choices to make. Then the club options, the first one. So this is where you pick up or you decline and there's a buyout that you have to add the buyout money to your total here. First one, again, I think is a pretty easy decision. Tim Anderson, the club option is $12.5 million for 2023. It's a $1 million buyout. This is, for me, a really easy pickup, Jim, because you've got another stacked shortstop free agency coming up, and we see how much money good shortstops are making. They're making $20-plus a year, and if Tim Anderson was a free agent right now, he would be making that type of money in free agency. So for me, this is an easy pickup. Yeah. I mean, like it's easy pickup, but just a case where he's no longer a bargain. 
Like at, at now that he's making 12 million and if he's playing 120 games at most, uh, then that's a case where, yeah, it's, it starts eating into the bottom line a little bit, but yeah, I mean, hard to do better than, you know, that's that salary, that kind of commitment for a player with hopefully, you know, that kind of upside to where like he can get back into the 140 game territory again and be like a four to five win player. The next one is Josh Harrison and he is scheduled to make $5.625 million in 2023, it is a $1.5 million buyout. For me, from looking at this particular club option situation, Jim, I'm leaning towards declining uh, his option and buying him out at $1.5 million. How do you think this could play out for the White Sox here? Because second base is still a sore spot for the roster. But Josh Harrison, $5.6 million, that's not a lot of money. I would say it's a lot of money just because the White Sox have so many of those players. Like they have so many guys who can play second, third, maybe a little short, aren't expected to be a league average bat, but make it up a little bit with their defense. You know, heard a lot about him being a good clubhouse guy, but what did that matter <laughs> in 2022? Like good clubhouse guys didn't really seem to help. Maybe it would have been worse. Uh, without a good clubhouse guy, like, you know, maybe uh, uh, they they might have gone 75 and uh, 75 wins and had a case where like they had some uh, sniping at Tony La Russa or like a mutiny on their hands. So maybe some of those glue guys did their work in terms of keeping all together and keeping the whatever griping there was uh, beneath the surface. But th the funny thing about his um, salary is that he earned a hundred twenty five thousand dollar bonus for reaching 400 plate appearances. And it's kind of funny because like, yeah, his buyout remains the same, but his salary goes up and like the more his salary goes up, the less likely are the White Sox are to keep him. So it almost seems like, you know, maybe they should have factored that into his buyout or if there's a way to do that, like, you know, my escalator goes up, but also my buyout goes up $50,000, something like that, like a portion of that, that, uh, that bonus. But yeah, I just don't see a compelling case to keep him. We, we kind of saw that, you know, when I looked at it in the off season, they signed Harrison. I thought like, if they signed Harrison, if Larry Garcia wasn't on the payroll, then I would, you know, get it. But when you have Larry making 5 million and you have Harrison making 5 million, that's 10 million for like a player, you know, two players who don't solve one position between them. And that just, that cost just gets too high. So I'd rather, you know, as long as Garcia is a fixture on the roster, and he probably is for at least a couple more months, and we'll see if this form from 2022 carries over, that uh, you hope by that point that Lenin Sosa is ready or Jose Rodriguez is ready or Gilbert Sanchez maybe finds a way to make a little bit more impact with his contact at Charlotte. But either way, they should have a, a number of options by at least the All-Star break uh, going into uh, you know, the second half to where like, Somebody at, at Harrison's level, that guaranteed amount of money isn't necessary. The player option, again, that's A.J. Pollock. If he opts in, he gets $13 million for 2023. If he opts out, he gets $5 million. But you do save $8 million in your spending if he does opt out. So there's that. Uh, other impending free agents. So these are the free agents for the White Sox. Not everyone is available uh, for a qualifying offer, but these are four decisions that White Sox fans are going to have to make. Starting with Jose Abreu uh, going into the 2023 season, being a free agent and looking at the first baseman free agency class. And it's kind of weird to say this, but it is somewhat stacked. There are many options available for first baseman if teams need to approve at that position. 
Uh, and now with Anthony Rizzo planning on opting out of his player option with the New York Yankees, that's another name to join Jose Abreu and Josh Bell. There, there's some quality first baseman available, so be interested to see just how much money Jose Abreu will make in free agency. But we've had this conversation many times if Jose Abreu is coming back. Have you changed your mind at all, Jim, as the uh, offseason marches on? Uh, no, just basically like it's something I can see happening like late, late, late in the winter. I'm thinking like Mike Moustakis when he returned to the Royals, that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't see him lasting that long. I don't see the White Sox really needing him or using him the way like the White uh, the Royals could use Moustakis in the last year, like needing a third baseman, needing a left-handed bat like the White Sox. You know, they need his production. That's a, that's the weird sad thing is like it's not a matter of production or what he left just more a matter of like as long as Andrew Vaughn's there and as long as Aloy Jimenez is there uh Jose Abreu doesn't need to be there with the salary he's making they just it could be costly you know life after Abreu and 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 running with guys who haven't proven to be the 155 game champion that Abreu is but that's kind of the uh, corner the White Sox have painted themselves into Vince Velasquez, who made $3 million last year for the White Sox. I'm not going to put a lot of effort in bringing back Vince Velasquez to the White Sox. He'll be another Sporacle Stumper one day for me. Uh, remembering, <laughs> I don't know how you'll end up on a Sporacle, but someone that I may forget in five years actually pitched for the White Sox. Elvis Andrews, he made $14.25 million last year. And that was at the shortstop position. So if White Sox fans are trying to come up with ideas and bringing back Elvis Andrews, what should they be mindful of, Jim? Well, the the there is the shortstop class that you talked about to where like, you know, he's going to be or he might have to wait out that wave of teams that needs a shortstop, but you know, I think it was with the Twins with the just the, you know, they, they always need a shortstop, it seems in in Minnesota with Crea um, you know, leaving, there's a vacancy there and depends on their appetite for spending, whether they want to commit another, you know, 20 plus million to a shortstop, which you can make the argument for that they would benefit from. But among teams that don't want to spend 20 million for a shortstop, like Andrews for like under 10 million for like a one-year deal, uh, especially the way he played with the White Sox, uh, he made a pretty compelling case for himself. Like it wasn't quite a contract year, but it was a contract two months, especially, uh, you know, given that he played you know decent defense, not like amazing uh, gold glove caliber defense, but respectable defense. And yeah, I guess he's a reason also why you don't retain Josh Harrison because like you kind of keep your eyes on the Andrews market. And if, you know, Andrews is like still lingering out there, then I think, you know, it's worth the White Sox discussing just because he seemed to be a good fit. Uh, he had the kind of, uh, you know, and this is, this sounds like an insult, but Larry Garcia presence at the leadoff spot to where like when Garcia was okay uh, <laughs> and, and healthy and like, you know, you know, Garcia had like a, a, you know, 315 OBP at the leadoff spot, but he was fearless about hitting there. Like he ran the bases well when he got on base and somehow he played up better than what his numbers showed. And I think Andrews had a similar thing going to where like, he's a credible bat up there. The White Sox lineup is shorter than you want. So you may as well bat him in front of some guys. And if he gets on base, he's not going to clog it. You know, he's not going to, he can score from second on a single and first from a double. So that's fine. Um, but he's a reason why I think you don't retain Harrison just because between the two, I mean, Andrews is the easy call, especially if Anderson gets hurt again and he may as well just, you know, 
leave that leave that potential for upside, whether it's like internally on a league minimum guy or somebody who just might be slipping through the cracks somehow. And then Johnny Cueto. Cueto made $4.2 million for the White Sox in 2022. Jim, I am pretty certain he is not going to make $4.2 million in 2023. As I just mentioned, Chris Archer made $10 million last year. <laughs> and just going through spot track or spot rack, however you pronounce it. I go with spot track in my head. I don't like. I don't know if there's a way to pronounce it, but I just I always pronounce it in my head as spot track. Spot track. Uh, that typically for pitchers that are like number five starters, they are making at minimum $10 million. So for Johnny Cueto, I think he's going to get quite the pay bump. How big of a pay bump are you expecting or those that are filling out their offseason plan projects should attach some type of number to Johnny Cueto to be in to be realistic on what kind of money will need to be thrown at Johnny Cueto to get him to come back to the White Sox. Seems like I would say like 15 million minimum. Yeah, you know, one year. Like I don't think he's like a 230 guy, but like a one year. Yeah, I think he's kind of going one year from here on out, mm-hmm. uh, unless he ties together two years really well. But that's that's the number I'm thinking of, off the top of my head, just because the injury history and the age is you know works against them the way it didn't against Syndergaard. Uh, you know, Syndergaard had the health issues, but he also had like, well, you know, maybe he can summon his best self. Still, he's you know on the right side of thirty, I think he was at the time. Uh, but yeah, the the fifth starter, you know, they tend to get like. You know, sometimes Kluber will go for an eight million or something like that, but yeah, I think you're talking about like 14, 15 million for a minimum. Okay, so like it, to go back full circle here, as you start preparing before you get into free agency and start making trades, it's a hundred ninety million dollar payroll. I'm at a hundred and seventy one million, and Johnny Cueto is not part of that roster. So if I want to bring back Johnny Cueto, I'm at a hundred eighty six million dollars. So I got like $5 million left Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have to start shedding some payroll, make some trades, wheel and deal to free up space to address all of the roster problems. If I truly believe that starting pitching is a priority for the White Sox this upcoming off season. But again, these are the things that you want to think about. If you want to have a more realistic off season plan project that really draws interest and conversation from others that do read your off-season plan project. So by now, going through each of the steps, you should have a pretty good idea of where your 26-man roster is before you start attacking free agency and start making trades. And we're going to talk about possible free agents and possible trade possibilities after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so we just helped you walk through getting your 26-man roster set up. You probably noticed some gaps in your lineup and pitching rotations. That's fine, because now it's time to bust out your shopping list and start looking through possible free agents and trade possibilities. I recommend creating your shopping list first and order it by priority what you feel is most important for the White Sox to address this offseason. And let's talk about shopping lists here, Jim, because... We have talked about this the last couple of years, and I think you and I, most of the time, are pretty synced up in what the shopping list is or what the priorities are for the White Sox. And then I just feel like the White Sox front office has a completely different shopping list from us, or their priorities are definitely not lined up, and this is kind of where it's starting to backfire and blow up in their face a little bit, where they have made the bullpen a much larger priority than... I was expecting or you were expecting or anyone from the outside was expecting. And it's kind of put the White Sox in a tight situation here going into the 2023 season. So when you are creating your shopping list, what do you think is the biggest priority for the White Sox this offseason they must address? To me, I still think it's outfield. Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn in the corners. Uh, AJ Pollock and Luis Robert being major health risks. Uh, Adam Engel having basically, uh, yeah, I think fallen off the depth chart. They need depth. Like Oscar Colas is there and he's compelling. Like there's a case to make him like the opening day starter or maybe like the May 1st starter. And I get it. And this is probably the case where like this is, yeah, it's hard to like enthusiastically make the case for doing nothing to right field. But like this is actually you know, the one year where maybe you can make an argument, but I still think there's like enough need to cover the other two outfield positions with just how much, how many games the incumbents have missed over the years to where like, even if Colas hits, you might have two other spots that need serious addressing over the course of a six month season to where like, yeah, I just wouldn't rest on, on Colas. In fact, like I would treat Colas as I hope the White Sox would have treated Andrew Vaughn uh, two years ago in that, like, I didn't want him to be plan A of anything. Like, when he was plan A DH, I was like, why? Like, have him be the first guy up in case somebody falls through. But just, you know, more bets than spots, I, I think, uh, is, is one of my tenets. In this case, like, 
I really want Coloss to have to earn it or like just be so compelling that like, yeah, we'll make them, we'll make it fit somehow. Like, uh, as, as the White Sox have shown year after year, like whether some guy flops or some guy gets hurt, like you never have to worry about somebody being crowded out. All right. So you got outfield. What would be next on your shopping list? I think probably innings. I would say at that point, just, you know, having that they've lucked out twice in a row with Carlos Rodon and then like Rodon going to um, Johnny Cueto and just having that, you know, $3 million guy who pitches 120 to 160 great innings for you, uh, bang for the buck. It's really hard to replicate, but that's why I think like, you know, Davis Martin would have been, oh, I would have been more enthusiastic about him had he not left his last start with the bicep uh, issue, which can mean a few different things. Um, you know, just it's a odd way to go out. Um, you know, almost feels like a, um, you know, foreshadowing something kind of like Garrett Crochet when he left his uh, postseason outing in, in the 2020 postseason, And then like, you know, kind of loomed over is he going to need Tommy John surgery? Didn't he in 2021, but sure enough in 2022, uh, he, he doesn't pitch. So that's kind of there for me right now is like, they, they need extra innings somehow. Like, you know, whether Kopech uh, is back from his knee surgery, uh, whether Martin's actually ready to go or can uh, withstand the load, whether, you know, Giolito is going to be, you know, what he used to be, whether Lance Lynn is healthy um, all the way or can be counted upon to make 30 starts again. It seems like they need innings somehow. It just runs into that Vince Velasquez thing to where like, you know, when it, when they do have like five credible starters, who is going to take the White Sox money to maybe make a single digit amount of starts because there are five better options already on the roster. Anything else on your shopping list? We got outfield. We got innings. Uh, you know, this is a case where, you know, when Rick Hahn said he's going to, to explore the trade market, it's like, uh, th- this is the case where they do need to balance the lineup, like left-handed bats on base guys. Like, you know, they might have to move somebody to accommodate somebody else. So it's not really a shopping list so much, you know, in terms of positions, but more along lines of skills. So I guess in like my outfield, you can, you can include that, like uh, find a left-handed bat that way, or find like an, uh, a guy who can draw walks that way. Maybe you consider that, that like, you know, item one and item two or one A and one B. Position wise, I think like outfield innings, second base is a secondary concern for me. Um, but I do think like, even if they have to move some guys around or move some guys out, like balance to ward off right-hand pitching and, you know, be able to actually draw walks here and there. That's kind of what I'm thinking about. Yeah. So for my shopping list, I'm with you. Any bat the White Sox add, they must swing left-handed. I am making that a priority. I'm tired of yeah, talking AJ about Pollock, this. AJ Pollock was supposed to hit righties as a righty and didn't. So that's, that's kind of hard to go back to that. Well, as you know, Rick Hahn always errs on the side of great hitters and uh, that doesn't seem to work. Yeah. Lurie Garcia, great hitter. Josh Harrison, Great hitter. Nomar Mazzara. Great hitter. <laughs> yeah. Adam Eaton. Great hitter. Yeah. The list is uh, lengthy. So for me, left-handed bats is right up there. Number one, trying to find out ways of adding more left-handed bats to the White Sox lineup. Next for me is second base. The White Sox ranked 27th in Major League Baseball in total war at this position. Now, I know what you're saying. The White Sox have some internal guys. They got Lenin Sosa. They got Romy Gonzalez. They got Yobert Sanchez. Shoot, Lurie Garcia is still on the roster. But I think that there's a possibility, especially with one player that we'll talk about here in a moment, 
that there could be some guys if they are made available in free agency, which their club options get denied, uh, that I think that they're a better option than all of those guys. Because uh, the internal options for the White Sox, while I'm intrigued, have not been incredibly impressive when they've gotten their opportunities with the White Sox. And then starting pitching. And it's more than just a number five starter. It's also going into the weeds. And also think about this too. Uh, even though it won't count towards your 190 number, find some pitchers to offer minor league contracts and give them a second, third, fourth, or shoot for some guys a fifth chance and try to prove themselves in spring training because the White Sox, Jim, and this is something, another thing we've been harping on. They don't have enough starting pitchers to fill out the Charlotte Knights roster. Yeah. Uh, so they need more quadruple A quality starting pitchers to, to lengthen out the depth here because creating the starting pitching depth chart before going into this offseason and start making moves. I mean, they're like six deep. And that's it. And that is incredibly mm-hmm. alarming. You can't be six deep if you want to be a postseason contender. You should be able to count on like nine to 12 guys to possibly make starts for you, even if it's a spot start or they got to start a couple of weeks because someone goes on the injured list. Yeah, the thing that's tricky about that, I wonder, is Baseball America publishing the park factors and Charlotte being the uh, least pitcher-friendly park in the International League. I wonder how that plays into it, like in terms of guys like, you know, let me look at the list here. Um, Let's say Dylan Bundy had to settle for like a, you know, minor league contract with like, say, uh, or or like a a two-way contract to where like, you know, if he makes the majors, he gets paid five million. But if he's in the minors, like, you know, he's a minor leaguer. But like, why would Dylan Bundy pitch in Charlotte? Like what's, you know he could succeed there maybe, or maybe he gives up 20 homers and 50 innings uh, because, you know, 330 foot fly balls leave the park there. So that's, uh, you know, when we, they've had the shortage year in and year out, but I do wonder when it comes to guys like that, if Charlotte, if their agents are just saying like, no, like you're never going to get out of AAA this way. <laughs> like you're, look at your tendencies and look at that park. Like, Oh God, like you, you better hope that they're only looking at your road stats or that you don't let it get in your head because like, it's just, it's, it's murder on pitchers. Like Davis Martin pitched way better in Chicago than he did in Charlotte last year. And I think there is something to that. Just, you know, the, the settings affecting how you pitch. That is true. But the white Sox, they need to build some depth. They, they can't do what they did last year and have like, yeah. three or four straight games where it's a bullpen day. You can't do that. Can't do that. So keep that in mind that when you're looking at starting pitching, it's one thing to find a number five starter, but if you really want to get creative and get into the weeds, try to find some quadruple A guys to give them minor league contracts or give them an opportunity to join the White Sox during spring training and prove their worth. Because as we saw last year, the White Sox got hurt again during spring training and maybe one of these guys has to fill in during the month of April. So those are the shopping lists. So it'd be great to hear what your guys' shopping lists are in your off-season plan project. But this helps with getting focused and taking the next step. And the next step is free agency. And again, you don't have a lot of money here. Well, maybe you do, depending on if you decide to buy out Tim Anderson or non-tender everyone that was on that list. Sure, you could have a lot of money. But Jim, what are some free agents when you look at this class that you think could be a fit for the White Sox? And when I say fit, I'm talking about roster fit and maybe could squeeze into their budget. I think among the premium guys, like Brandon Nemo is my 
favorite free agent in terms of he's left-handed. He's got great on-base skills. He can hit uh, you know double-digit amount of homers. And I was looking up on Statcast, and uh, if he played all his games at guaranteed right field, like he'd be approaching 20 homers. I think it's 19 was his total uh, of, of fly balls that would have left guaranteed right field. And we know that guaranteed right field is is friendly for lefties. So going from city field to guaranteed right field could provide him a boost. I think we've seen enough hitters also not capitalize on that to where you can't like, you know, pencil it in. Oh, he's going to hit five more homers than he hit last year. But it's a thought to where like, you know, the, the, the parks are different enough to where like there still might be some unexplored home run room for him. If the whites, if signing with the white Sox doesn't ruin his career, like it's ruined so many other free agents. But you know, the, if you're looking for a guy who can play, you know, both corners and cover center for uh, stretches of time without feeling terrible about it. Like I think he would be the guy that would provide the kind of outfield coverage I want while still being able to accommodate uh, Colas if if he knocks down the door. Okay, so what? How do you feel with the report early coming out of Denver from the Denver Post that the Rockies are going to be aggressive and trying to sign Brandon Nemo, and they're willing to offer him five years, one hundred fifteen plus million dollars? Does that push Nemo out of the White Sox spending habits and spending budget? Well, it's more than what seventy-two million. So yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> but um, the average rate doesn't scare me. And yeah, you know, I, I think when it comes to you know, it's a, it's a case where it's like not thrilling to pay him. But we've seen you know going down the list like you know they didn't want to pay Bryce Harper three hundred million. They didn't want to pay George Springer one hundred fifty million. Like the number keeps dropping. You have to like jump on the carousel somewhere if you're going to play this game. And, you know, the number drops for a reason. Like the number drops because like, you know, Nemo's gotten hurt. And part of it was an atrocious Mets training staff, but also the White Sox might have an atrocious training staff. So you don't quite know what's going on there. But uh, there are always uh, reasons to worry. Like, you know, Nemo's going to be 30, you know, for the entirety of his contract. So, you know, five years might make you a little bit itchy, but, you know, that contract itself doesn't scare me. Like, it's going to be hard to accommodate in that payroll number. Yeah, I think you'll have to cut a little bit, you know, here and there. But, you know, just the fit is so good. And it, it's specifically what they need now to try to capitalize on this window that they have to generate that postseason revenue and that and rebuild that season ticket holder pace. Uh, you know, that's kind of spending money to make money, I, I, I say. And then, like, should it fail or should, like, he be okay but the White Sox still come up short? You know, as I mentioned, like, this money or there will, there will be money melting off the 2024 payroll to where like Nemo's just there and like, Oh, well, but you know, maybe eventually you can trade out of it. But that, that, yeah, I think for the kind of fit he provides, like you got to spend some time, don't you? That is true. You do have to spend it some time. And I think that's a very fair deal for Brandon Nemo. Aaron judge is going to make a crazy amount of money and he's at in- least an AAV. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Nemo, I I think anywhere from 22 to $25 million a year is fair for Brandon Nemo. Uh, And the Rockies supposedly being reported that they're going to be willing to offer $23 million a season. So there you go. So if you have Brandon Nemo in your sights and you put up a deal like, oh, the White Sox signed him for four years, $80 million, just know you're already too low (laughs) as far as for Brandon Nemo. You're going to have to bump that up. I mean, Zach Wheeler, that was kind of the number that was thrown around for him, 4-80, and and then he ended up signing for 5-118, and and the White Sox supposedly went to like 120 or 125, and... Look how he's doing. So if the player's right, you know, 
Go for it. Any other free agents when you're looking through the list that intrigue you or that you could think are a really good fit for the White Sox? Well, I think I know who you you are identifying among second basemen. All right, so let's play the guessing game. Who do you think it is? Uh, does he share initials with Kenny Williams? He does. <laughs> he does. Well done, Jim. Colton Wong. Now, the Milwaukee Brewers had some breaking news earlier in this day when we were recording the podcast. David Stearns is stepping down from being the president of baseball operations for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's just going to be a special advisor to the owner. He has one year left in his contract, meaning that David Stearns is going to be a MLB executive free agent uh, after this upcoming season. And I think when you have a transition in someone else taking over the job. I think it's Mike Arnold. Is that correct? That's the new uh, Matt, Matt Arnold, Matt Arnold, yep. Matt Arnold takes over for David Stearns that the Brewers have this club option for Colin Juan. It's $10 million or $2 million buyout. They got Bryce Turan for the draft enthusiasts. You have heard that. Name. I saw him. Yeah. I saw him a lot in Nashville. Okay. Uh, they're excited about down his, here about possibly him taking over at second base and they could uh, spend that $10 million elsewhere or the $8 million elsewhere uh, when you consider the $2 million buyout to make Cold Juan a, a free agent. The reason I identify him, Jim, one, he bats left-handed, mm-hmm. so that fits the need. Two, he's still an above-average hitter at second base. Now, what does concern me is that he had 17 errors in 2022, he was one of the worst fielding second basemen in all of Major League Baseball in 2022. What gives me hope, from 2018 to 2021, those four seasons, he was one of the best fielding second basemen in all of Major League Baseball. So I'm not quite sure what happened in 2022 where he goes from only committing two errors in the entire 2021 season to committing 17 errors in 2022 with 10 of those, I believe being fielding errors at the position. Yes, that is a concern. However, if Colton Juan can go back to the way that he has been defensively, then the white Sox get someone that can help shore up defensively at second base. And if he can continue to being a 110, 115 weighted runs created plus type of second baseman batting left-handed, that's what the white Sox need at second base. Did you look at his splits? No. Are you going to scare me uh, here? Be, no, no, that's well, I mean, it's slightly scary, but only if you want him to face lefties. Against righties last year, 277, 357 OBP, 489 slugging. That's what that's what the White Sox need. Yeah, 14 of his 15 homers came against righties. Um, yeah, that that's what that's what grabbed my interest. Like they have Right-handed options who can take at bats at second base, whether it's Danny Mendick, you know the you know Romy Gonzalez, uh, Lenin mm-hmm. Sosa, you know Larry Garcia, depending on what side he's hitting better from in a given year. Like they have different ways to offset that over the course of the year, depending on which options emerge. So that's why I liked him, um, just because of that left-handed bat. And that's like the case where like I don't make a uh, I don't see any point in in going for Josh Harrison when somebody like Colton Wong theoretically could be out there. Yes, and I, I like the possibility up the middle, especially with the shifts uh, being drastic going into next season. I like the double play possibility between Tim Anderson and Colton Wan, and I, I think Wan is a good fit for the White Sox, and he'll help them out both defensively and offensively. Uh, any other names that caught your 
attention going through the free agency list, Jim? Yeah, I mean, like there are the usual suspects in corner outfield spots. Like I, I know I joked about you with Michael Brantley before, like Andrew He's Benintendi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's Andrew Benintendi who's okay. Like, you know, just I, I prefer if you're going to spend money to, to, to get Nemo. Like it feels like it's a case where like, you know, spending less and for the sake of spending less to get somebody like uh, Benintendi. But like, you know, if you want uh, an Adam Angle replacement like Kevin Kiermeyer's out there, um, and imagine he'll be bought out to where like if you want a plus center fielder who might be able to offer something against left-handed pitching, he can fit, he, you know, he's somebody who has that kind of experience anchoring a position on a postseason team, even though he's right-handed, I believe. Uh, then you have like the lefties like, you know, Jock Peterson and David Peralta and Tyler Naquin all who, you know, and Peralta and Naquin were disappointing after their, their trades, but theoretically they're out there. It was funny, Joey Gallo, I saw on the free agent list, and I know he had that amazing success early on when he was traded to the Dodgers, and I saw like Yankees fans and Yankee media like pointing it out, but then like he was just, he hit more homers than the Dodgers, but that's about it, it's like 160 uh, average, 19 homers, so there's that, but like everything else was was terrible about his play, and I'm really curious what his market's going to be like. That's a case where like if somehow he slipped to minor league signing status like sure jump on that like immediately you have him in charlotte have him scaring the hell out of people walking on mint street behind uh, right field at uh, truest field um but yeah and also like you know should emergency arise or should he look interesting sure try him out for a couple weeks but i'm curious to see what his market is like just because i don't know if any team knows what to do with him that is a good point i don't think any team really does know what to do with them you know and with that being said the Rockies. I think that's a perfect match. Joey Gallo at Coors Field. Yeah, maybe. He's going to hit 180, but he's going to hit a lot of home runs. And he's still pretty good defensively. Was he friends with Chris Bryant? Like, was he uh, part of that, like, uh, Las Vegas area mm-hmm. you know, youth yes. circuit? So, yeah, they might have ties there. Yeah, Gallo, Bryant, and Harper. Yeah. Yes, back in the day. Uh, some names that caught my attention, Brandon Drury back from the trade talks. And I don't think San Diego is going to hold on to him because they have to figure out what to do with their infield. They got somewhat of a jam uh, for the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. won't be eligible to rejoin the Padres until like Memorial Day weekend, uh, early June for them. But once he does come back, that they're still expecting him to be part of the lineup and part of the infield. So they're going to have to move some guys around and, that's a tough spot right now for Brandon Drury to stay with the Padres. So he's a free agent. And I know what the splits look like on how he hit in Cincinnati. Uh, but he came up with some big moments for the San Diego Padres. And I think that's a possibility at second base. You touched on Jock Peterson, always going back to that as a cheapish left-handed bat. He continues to sign for like $7 million, try to play for teams to make the postseason. Last year was the first time in his career he did not play in the postseason, Jim. Hmm as the Giants did not make it. A starting pitcher to think about. So we talked about Johnny Cueto possibly being $15 million. How do you feel about Mike Clevenger? I know it did not end very well in his tenure with San Diego. He completely missed the 2021 season due to injury, and he just hasn't been the same for the Padres as he was with the, uh, well, then the Indians, but now Guardians uh, with Cleveland. How would you feel about that as a possibility of someone to try to nail down the fifth starting spot for the White Sox? I wouldn't hate it. It's a case where, like, would he 
you know, could he find more appealing options or like more forgiving options among a team that needs pitching more if he's really trying to rebuild his value? It did give me a little bit of like Chris Paddock apprehension. Just the idea when you mentioned his name is like when the twins got Paddock and just saw the trade, like, eh, is he actually going to be stay healthy? Is he going to stay healthy to be scary? And like, no, uh, he wasn't. And, you know, Clevenger's kind of got the same thing going for him, you know, missing entire season and not being the same guy afterwards. So, I wouldn't feel great about it, but like he is at least, you know, minorly interesting if you consider that like maybe he did need that full season after Tommy John surgery to, you know, get it together. Like certainly more upside than most of the other guys in the list who are mostly there to provide the kind of Johnny Cueto know-how and maybe string together 20 good starts. All right. So those are the, that's the free agents and maybe you guys have other ideas as well. This is what makes the activity fun. Can't wait to see some free agents that you make cases for. Uh, for the White Sox to sign. But Rick Hahn made it known at Tony LaRusse's second retirement press conference that he said the trade market could be more fruitful for the Chicago White Sox. So let's end this podcast episode with trade target ideas. Who in the White Sox current 26-man roster, or maybe even expanded 40-man roster, Jim, are the trade assets that Rick Hahn could possibly flip that's of interest to other teams, with that being the key caveat, that could help bring players back to help address some of these roster gaps. In terms of players, plural, Vaughn would be one, just because of his, he's done an admirable job with the lack of high minors experience that he had. So as unimpressive as his numbers may be, and with just you know, having to play outfield when he's not suited for it. Like I can still see teams being high on him. You watch like Spencer Torkelson struggle with the Tigers and you realize like how good of a job Vaughn did uh, with the experience he had just, you know, hanging in there and bouncing back from adversity and, 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 and rallying from slumps to be an above average hitter until like the very end of the season. So there's that, um, you know, Jimenez, I think after Vaughn, it gets in the case where like, you know, Jimenez, you can trade him. Sure. Tim Anderson, I think, you know, there's a case to trade him just because you mentioned that shortstop, how much they're getting paid. You know, if they wanted to say like, you know, in a world where they stick with Elvis Andres or something that say like, oh, maybe we can get by with Andres for less than we're paying Anderson and trade Anderson for something. Like that's the kind of uh, deal I can see being made and being a lot more palatable to our off-season plan project architects than a year ago, just because the White Sox do need to get creative if they need to kind of back themselves out of this uh, corner where the either players are okay, but they don't have defensive abilities or they have defensive abilities, but they aren't available. And do you count on Anderson being available or do you try to, you know, deal him while his value is still high and then try to see if like new blood in a different position somehow, you know, works out better in terms of just over the course of a six month season. So those are the guys I think that are, you know, most intriguing. And then you can kind of get to Luis Robert too, if you really want to get bold. But, you know, right now I think he's still at the level to where he can still put it all together. He's not getting paid much. Um, and it's just too soon and be selling too low to really, um, you know, capitalize on it the way you'd want to. So one name I'm surprised you did not bring up is Liam Hendricks. Mm, yeah. So I'm, I'm, compa- I'm comparing Liam Hendricks to this fancy all-electric Jeep Grand Cherokee that I just saw online. And I went and I built it out on how I would like it, Jim. And it's like $90,000. Now, in my life, in my priorities, a $90,000 Jeep is not very high on that list because that's not very affordable for me. 
uh, especially with the wedding coming up and things we want to do around the house that just wouldn't make sense. It, it is a luxury I would not be able to mm-hmm. afford. I view Liam Hendricks as a luxury the White Sox cannot afford. He is the $90,000 Jeep Grand Cherokee in their bullpen. Yes, he's very cool. Yes, he's very good at what he does, and it draws attention. But with the roster holes that they currently have, you cannot have your closer be one of the top five highest paid players in this roster who is going to play a fracture of the amount of innings in a regular season. Yeah. He is a luxury that I think the White Sox need to move. And if they move Liam Hendricks, I think there will be a market for Liam Hendricks that they're in a position where, yes, please give us your most ready AAA prospects because based on our scouting, they could be ready to contribute in the major leagues and hopefully that nets a return that could help address maybe second base or corner outfield or maybe starting pitching prospect that could help out with the starting pitching depth. I, I feel like if you're looking to save some money, the $14 million that Liam Hendricks is owed in 2023 is a place to start. No, I can see that. I think the reason I didn't mention him is because like he's getting paid close to market value. I think like he's been reliable enough the last two years to where... Yeah, the last two years of his deal in the second year would be guaranteed if he were traded. Like it would go from a, an option to a, a guaranteed um, deal. So the, the team acquiring him can't have that kind of creative financing that uh, the White Sox uh, were very proud of, uh, paying him like $1 million for you know, the uh, next uh, few presidential terms. Uh, I think that's the, uh, that's the one drawback I think of. Like that's one thing that hampers his value a little bit. Um, the fastball was like, maybe not as elite as it was the year before. So there are some signs of decline to where like I can see teams having a little bit of leverage should not sound all that excited about him, but I think, yeah, he could be moved. Just, I I don't know if the market would be as excited about him as the White Sox were in signing him. Oh, I disagree after watching this postseason. Maybe. And that, yeah, that's where I'm going to disagree. It's that after watching this postseason, I, I think there are some teams that would be like, Oh, Liam Hendricks is available. Yes, we're far more interested in him than Craig Kimbrell, where we were hanging up when you were calling us last year. We reluctantly took on Craig Kimbrell. Liam Hendricks, different story. Yeah. All right, so that's from the White Sox perspective as far as moving players. Are there any particular teams as far as position situations that you look at, Jim, that maybe those doing offseason plan projects should maybe come up with ideas of acquiring these particular players from these particular teams? I I tend to not be as, uh, I I should say that one thing I enjoy about the off-season plan project is that people are way more creative than I am in terms of uh, coming up with trades. So that's one one thing I enjoy about it is like, I enjoy outsourcing, uh, you know, that kind of legwork for people who have been like tracking one prospect all along. I will say like, you know, speaking of uh, fan favorites in Nashville, like I think, you know, I watched Sal Freelich at the end of the year, uh, their number two prospect. I think he was out of Boston College and yes, really impressed with his set of skills across the board. And they have Garrett Mitchell as well, left-handed bat who can cover center field. And I just like, if one of those two guys became available, I would love to see the White Sox somehow get in on that. 
if they had the you know prospect capital or player capital to do so. Like the Brewers are run on a small enough budget to where like I think they would guard those guys pretty preciously, but just watching those two guys come through Nashville and say like, oh, it'd be nice if the White Sox had one of those guys in the system. I like those guys. I think they would make Christian Yelich available. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Is that too rich for the White Sox blood? Uh, depending on, I mean, look what Yelich did last. Because I know it wasn't as smooth for him as it had been. No, it hasn't been smooth yeah. for him. For so a I'm bit. looking to see, like, how much does he have left? Let's look at his numbers real quick. Yeah, so the last two years, he's been okay. Um, they were like, you know, average outfielder, basically. Like, yeah, yeah, and what's he making? <laughs> Woo, $26 million through uh, 2028. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be tough. It would be tough. Yeah. It would be, it would be very tough. And, yeah, the, there's no player options there. Oh, great. The 2029 option may have already vested. Yep. So, Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe if they so pay like you one, know, two, three, two thirds of his freight or something like that, that would probably be what it takes. But yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's dicey. Uh, six years, hundred fifty-six million for Christian Yelich. <laughs> oh man, I'm sure that the Milwaukee Brewers would be interested in moving Yelich if you could come up with an idea. Maybe it wouldn't cost that much because you'd just be taking on a lot of their salary that they'd be dumping off the books. So I like that idea. Uh, two teams to look at if you're looking for ideas, uh, especially if you're rookies or, or new to the offseason plan project, the Baltimore Orioles outfield. So you have Anthony Santander, who had a very good season, and Cedric Mullins, who's had who's one of the better outfielders, in, especially in the American League and Major League Baseball. And it looks like that the Orioles, because they have all this talent coming up, that they have some internal options in Kyle Stowers and Colton Kowser who could take over one of these positions. And this may be an opportunity for the Orioles to move on one of these outfielders. Both Santander and Mullins are in arbitration. They have a couple of years of team control. Santander, I think, has two years of control. Mullins has three years of control. But the Orioles may be trying to move one of these two to free up salary as they're going to go hard and heavy at starting pitching. So if you're looking for a trade idea, maybe the Baltimore Orioles outfield situation. And if you're looking to acquire a starting pitcher, no better place to look than Miami. Miami is stacked in starting pitchers. Miami desperately needs hitters. So if you're trying to look to move a White Sox hitter to, to acquire a pitcher, uh, Miami's a great place to look and to start in, in that endeavor. But those are the trade target ideas that I have. And this should be a very fun exercise. So I'm already working on mine. And you guys can make fun of mine <laughs> off-season plan project uh, in a few days here. They'll be posted on SoxMachine.com. Uh, any last-minute advice for those that are about to dig in here, Jim, after listening to this episode and get ready to publish their off-season plan? Well, I've already said too much. Otherwise, you know, it'd be a case where like it would feel like a little bit like Paul Hollywood uh, or, um, uh, or or Prue when it comes to uh, British Bake Off when saying like, you know, the technical challenge when any words of advice and they give like a five word description. You must be precise. Like, OK, thanks. You know, like uh, it's usually something that vague. I would say like one thing we didn't talk about is if you're trying to get out from under Yasmani Grandal and Yuan Mankata. 
If you like the trade even the slightest bit, it's probably too favorable for the White Sox. <laughs> it has yeah. to hurt. I would say like, you know, that, that would be my, my brief, unhelpful bit of advice. If it trades yes. uh, Grandal or Mankata, it has to hurt. It has to be embarrassing. It has to not feel like it accomplishes much at all. And remember, even if you DFA them, they are still owed that money. It still counts to your towards your $190 million. But this is always a fun time, and it's going to be a blast to read everyone's offseason plans. And it'd be we, we can't wait to see what everybody has thoughts on as far as free agent targets and the creative trades that everyone compiles. But that will do it for this podcast episode, kicking off the 2023 offseason plan project. Again, you can go to SoxMachine.com to get started, as Jim will have the format ready for you to copy and paste and you could paste it into a Microsoft Word document or a Google Word doc uh, and then work out as far as your entire post, copy and paste that over into Sox Machine and then publish it. We'll review it real quick for you guys just to make sure that the formatting is all good and then uh, push it out to the public and then you yeah. can wait to see what the reactions are. And also we'll publish them in a way that like if we get six at once, we're not going to publish all six at once and get buried. We try to space them out so that everybody gets a little bit of exposure you know, on the front page, everybody has time to read it so it doesn't get buried in an avalanche of new posts. So if, if, you, if you've like posted, you haven't seen any action on it for a couple hours, there's usually a reason behind it. And I'll be reaching out to some of you as if there's any interesting ideas that I like. We'll have a podcast episode dedicated to those interesting ideas that I saw in the offseason plan project. So it gets you an opportunity to be part of the Sox Machine podcast in a week or two as we do that episode. So good luck to everyone doing your off-season plan projects. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to get it. We had a very special town hall presentation for our Patreon supporters this past week to share not only our 2022 achievements, but also our upcoming two-year plan and as far as our goals at Sox Machine. So if you want to be part of that and you want to help support us, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up. Monthly plans start at $2 and you can save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.